Thank you for listening to a Sunday morning sermon from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about these sermons or about Christ Church in general, visit us online at ccochurch.com. And now, here's this week's sermon. Good morning, church. Let's open our Bibles to Hebrews 11 if you don't have them already available there. Go to verse 23, and we're going to be looking, uh, as Dana talked about at the beginning this morning, we're going to be looking at the life of Moses. If you're visiting Christ Church, my name is Mark, and I have the privilege of being one of the ministers here. And uh, we're glad you're with us for this series. We've been looking at this since Fourth of July weekend. What does faith really look like? Uh, We live in a culture that has told you that faith is having made a profession of belief in Jesus at some point in your life. And that's just not biblically accurate. So there's no shame in having bought into that because it is promoted in our culture. What we want to do is look at Hebrews 11, which defines what faith is. And identify the people that are given as examples of faith and what did they do? How were they faithful? So that all of us at the conclusion of this series will know what faith truly is and how is it demonstrated. Uh, What I'd like to begin this morning is just by simply saying that uh, faith is the choices you make and why you make those choices. Life is full of choices, we know that. Every single one of us can look back in our lives and think of a choice that we made that worked out for us, and we were blindly making it. Anybody understand what I just said? Have you ever lucked in to a choice that you just made a choice without much thought, and it turned out to be the perfect thing at the perfect time, and it paved a way or opened a door for you to be successful? And yet I know for sure that every one of us in this room has made a choice intentionally that turned out to be devastating. That we chose to go this path knowing that we were told not to, but we did it anyway. And it devastated us and innocence all around us. And so we've experienced that. Faith, as we've used as an example, is a muscle. It's a spiritual muscle that you either exercise and it grows stronger and bigger, or you do nothing with it and it atrophies and is weak. So the choices we make matter. The Bible is full of opportunities. I can think of Elijah when he's on the mountain with the prophets of Baal, and he says, hey, if God is God, serve him, and if Baal is God, serve him, but make a choice, my paraphrase. Choose whether or not you want to live by honoring the God who's revealing himself or honor the God that you think exists and is yet to reveal himself. Uh, I can go through other passages of Scripture. Uh, Josiah was a king, and it's said about him that he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, and he walked in the ways of his father David, not turning to the right or to the left. He made a choice to trust the promises and words of God, and he pursued those. To catch you up, this entire series we've talked about the people found in in Hebrews chapter 11 and what they chose, if you will. Abel chose a more excellent sacrifice. He gave God his best to honor God for all that God had done for him, and it was reckoned as faith and righteousness. Enoch, he chose to walk with God. He made a choice each and every day to draw closer to God than to the world. Noah, I should have preached on Noah today since we're in the middle of a flood, but I missed it by a week or two. But Noah chose to do exactly what God said, even though it was not raining when he started. Abraham chose to live his entire life trusting God, even though he did not know exactly where God was taking him and how long it would take to get there. And last week we talked about Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, who all chose to trust God facing their own death, even though they never saw half of his promises materialize, they still chose to trust. And today we're going to talk, as I said a little bit earlier, about Moses, because I think Moses made some choices that would be beneficial for us in America to contemplate and make for ourselves our own choice. 
And so what I'd like to do is simply divide today's message into two pieces. The things that faith rejects, the choices that they'll choose to reject, and the choices that we choose to accept. And so we'll split those up. I'd like to begin by pointing out to you from Hebrews chapter 11, three things that Moses rejected that the world offered him because of his faith. So let's begin. He rejected the world's prestige. If you don't know the story of Moses, uh, I, I want to caution you not to, to fall to the Charlton Heston version or the cartoon version or any new version that's out. I'd actually encourage you to start in Exodus chapter 2 and read through Exodus and then jump to the book of Deuteronomy and read the book of Deuteronomy. Because what you'll find is his story is told in those two books. A number of chapters about the depth of his life. We're going to encapsulate it from a passage in Acts, a few uh, passages in Exodus, and primarily out of Hebrews 11. The world's prestige. I'd like to begin in verse 24, and then we'll jump back to 23 in a moment. By faith, Moses. I need to pause here for a moment. That expression, by faith, is used throughout the entire uh, book of, of Hebrews, and primarily in chapter 11, it focuses on people's story. And you'll notice that the things they did were choices they made by faith. So we begin. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. This will explain the first choice he made, to give up the world's prestige. He was known as the son of a king because he was adopted into Pharaoh's family by Pharaoh's daughter. Verse 23 explains all that. By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. See, Pharaoh had decided that the Hebrews were growing exponentially and he wanted to eliminate this group of people lest they become a threat to his his reign of terror, if you will. So he decided to have all the boys killed. And if you kill all the boys, then you could end the Hebrew line. And Moses' parents, when he was born, did not fear the king's edict and they believed that he was a special child, so they protected him and they held him out. And the story is indicated... Uh, in Exodus chapter 2, it goes on. What they did was they placed him in a, in a basket that they had woven together some reeds, and they placed him out in the water, knowing that Pharaoh's daughter was bathing in that area, and maybe she would see him and take a liking to him, and this is exactly what happened. Exodus chapter 2, verse 9. Pharaoh's daughter said to, to her, Take this baby and nurse him for me, and I will pay you. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. When the child grew older, and remember that phrase, When the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. It's an interesting passage because God had challenged him. You see, even in captivity, Moses' parents were people of faith. And that is so important for us to dig in and hold on to. Faith cannot just be when things are comfortable and good. Faith is founded on if God is God, he is good when things are bad, and he is good when things are good. He's God. And they believed. And then I learned something in studying this out of Exodus chapter 2. I always believed because of Hollywood and my not paying attention to specific details in the text that Moses was probably weaned by his mother and at the age of one or two given to Pharaoh's daughter. And then I did some research and I found out that's not believed by the rabbis and it's not believed in most scholarship. They believe that Moses was probably raised by his mom and dad till the age of 12 and then taken to Pharaoh's daughter where he became a part of their family. And that's a significant note because in those 12 years or 10 years or 8 years, whatever that period of time was, he was not delivered as a toddler. He was delivered as a young boy and he was given to her and she became, or he became her son. What's the significance of that? For that period of time that Moses' parents were raising him, they taught him about God. 
They raised him in the truth of who God was because when he becomes Pharaoh's daughter, he has an issue with his identity. Is he the son of a king or is he a Hebrew child? And we live in a world today that is trying to strip us of our identity. You're an American Christian. No, no, you're a Christian. Outside of nationality and what your zip code is, we cannot be identified by where we set our feet. We have to be identified by where we set our heart. We're a part of the kingdom of heaven, and it's a blessing to be a part of the country we live in. But we are not one and the same. American Christian is two different concepts. And Moses' identity was not founded on where he set his feet. It was founded by his parents on where they set his heart. And they raised him. So if I said, is he a son of a king? The answer is yes. But if I also said to you, is he a son of a greater king? What's that answer to? Absolutely. He knew his identity. He knew where he came from. And he held on to those things. You see, here's what I want you to know. You can learn things even in captivity that will bless you when you become free. There is no lesson you've learned in your entire life that God cannot turn to good if you allow him to. God can take any hurt and turn it into a victory if we trust him. And so there is, there is nothing that you've learned in the captivity of sin that cannot be a blessing for you in the freedom you get in Christ. And Moses understood that. So he was raised in the culture. He was trained in her home. He was given an Egyptian education. And I thought about just passing by this until I did some research, and then my tail started wagging, and I thought I'd share it. Here's what I learned. The formal education of Egypt would have been that he would have learned to write hieroglyphics and heretic scripts. He would have copied the great texts of the ancient world. He would have copied those to learn to write those writings and to read those writings and to be trained in these great things. He undoubtedly would have learned several languages. He would have been proficient in this, known as a son of Pharaoh or a grandson of Pharaoh. He would have had all of this education. And if you're asking the question, so what? Let me explain why. Do you know who edited and drew together the books of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy? Moses. What God taught him in captivity, it became a blessing to him in his freedom. And that education and that ability to take these texts and put them together and write these stories and hold this history for us, the oral history being passed on in written form, all came because God allowed Moses to learn in captivity what would bless us in our freedom. Church, God's sovereign. He's got this thing. He's even working in evil days to bring about the blessings and freedom. In Acts chapter 7, Stephen, in his great sermon in that chapter, talks about Moses and gives us insight. When Moses was 40 years old, he decided to visit his fellow Israelites. Notice that his identity is decided. He knows who he is. He's not Pharaoh's son. He's a Hebrew. And he visits his fellow Israelites. He saw one of them being mistreated by an Egyptian, so he went to his defense and avenged him by killing the Egyptian. Moses thought that his own people would realize that God was using him to rescue them, but they did not. The next day, Moses came upon two Israelites who were fighting. He tried to reconcile them by saying, Men, you are brothers. Why do you want to hurt each other? But the man who was mistreating the other pushed Moses aside and said, Who made you ruler and judge over us? Do you want to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? When Moses heard this, he fled to Midian, where he settled as a foreigner and had two sons. This is the part of Moses' story that begins to take new. He could have. Now, I want you to remember, he's the grandson of Pharaoh, but he would have been known as the son of Pharaoh. 
He had all the power and all the prestige that he needed. And he had a moment where he, could, he stood up for his own identity versus the identity of the prestige of the world. If he'd have hidden as Pharaoh's son, he would never have defended one of his brothers. But he knew who he was and he defended one of his brothers and he walked away from his status. He walked away from the world, what the world thought of him. And he walked away from his future to do what he knew was right. And we know that Moses went into the wilderness for 40 years and he met his father-in-law and began to work for him as a shepherd and he met his wife and he had two sons. But I want you to understand the word shepherd is so important for us to understand Moses' story. A shepherd was not an esteemed position. In the church today, we teach our children, there's nothing wrong with it, but we have to balance this out with, with more gritty, you know, fingerprinted reality. And that is a shepherd was a demeaned position. It was unskilled labor. In fact, in Jesus' days, shepherds could not testify in court. They were thought so little of that they were thought to be liars and thieves, so they couldn't testify in court. And second of all, they couldn't worship in the temple because they spent all day stepping in sheep stuff, that they were unclean constantly. And because they could never have a period of time in which they could go through the ritual of being cleansed, they couldn't appear even in worship. So when we think about him going from being the son of a king, to a shepherd, everyone would know what the story would understand. He lost everything. But I want you to remember there's glimpses of Moses' life that sound like this other guy in the New Testament. I can't think of his name right now. Oh, Jesus, who went from being the son of a king to a what? A shepherd hanging around with filthy sheep that made him unclean every day of his life. There's symmetry there. He gave up the prestige, second of all. His faith rejected the world's pleasures. Not only did he give up fame and fortune, but he gave up comfort. Verse 25, he chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. We talked about this a few weeks ago. Moses chose then over now, which is a sign of faith. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasure of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. Moses knew his calling and he knew where it came from. A bush lit up and called his name and said, I'm going to send you back. But he lived for 40 years in the darkness. He stayed hidden in, in the wilderness learning to trust the Lord and to be called to a moment. You see, I want, to, I want this to be clear. It's not a sin to be in the Egyptian court unless God calls you to somewhere else. And we live in the most affluent culture in all of the world. We're, we're some of the, easily, we're some of the richest people to walk the face of the earth right now. Oh, you can think of Bill Gates, you can think of all these people who have so much more than you, but you understand significantly the power of the resources you and I have at our disposal at any moment of our life makes us in the top 5% of the richest people in the world. We live in affluence, and affluence can keep us from being faithful. Because it tells us every day, I've got enough, I don't need God today. And Moses was stripped of all the affluence and all of the pleasure, and he lived for the disgrace of Jesus, the Hebrew author says. And what does that mean? He would suffer as a deliverer. Everybody who's ever stood up for Jesus in this culture has suffered for it. Why? Because he was looking forward, it says, to his reward. He knew that there was nothing Pharaoh could give him today that would be greater than what Jesus promised to give him forever. Did you guys catch that? 
You can, you can replace Pharaoh in your world with whatever it is for you right now. There is nothing blank can give you today that will be greater and more fulfilling than what Jesus can give you forever. And Moses realized that. And he chose to give away the pleasure of being the son of a king. And he gave up the prestige and the power to do what God called him to. And then thirdly, his faith rejected the world's threats. And this is a legitimate statement for us in our culture today. The threat of saying no to the government, saying no to the king, saying no to Babylon, saying no to Rome, saying no to Pharaoh will cost us something. Hebrews eleven twenty seven. by faith, notice the phrase again, because of his faith, he chose to leave Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. Moses knew what it was to tell Pharaoh no. He grew up in his home. For at least 30 years of his life, he saw Pharaoh get what Pharaoh wants. Pharaoh didn't like the wife, see a wife. Pharaoh didn't like a country, see a country. He didn't like an advisor, see an advisor. They were all disposable. He knew what it was to go into Pharaoh and demand something, yet God told him. God said, you're going to go to Pharaoh and you're going to tell him to let my people go. Now, if we're honest with each other and we don't romanticize this story, you'd be scared too, wouldn't you? The fact that Moses not only did it once, and we often make fun of Moses because he says to God, I'm not much of a speaker. I'd have said anything not to have to pull that assignment. Go into the richest, most powerful man with the greatest army the world knew at that moment in time. Go into his, his room and tell him he's wrong for holding slaves and his free labor needs to be released. Yeah, right. Yet Moses not only did it once, he did it at least 10 times, more than probably like 15. Knowing that every time he did, his life was at risk. Psalm 34, 7. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and he delivers them. Those who fear the Lord over their fear of their circumstance. But here's what I want you to know. Moses' fears were not unfounded. They were not ridiculous. I used to never understand my dad. What are you crying about? You want a reason to cry? Stop. That is lame, dad. Of all the good things that man told me, I never got that one. I'd rather him just say, quit crying around me. That would have made more sense. But to say, what are you crying for? You know, Dad, I woke up today, I needed to cry. No, I was upset. You don't cry over things that don't matter, even if they don't matter to somebody else. And you don't fear things because other people fear them. You fear them because you fear them, right? I hate heights. I've seen some of you dance funny dances over a spider. Right? We, we fear what we fear. And some of us say, oh, spiders can't hurt you. It doesn't change your heart or mind. And the Bible is full of... Fear not, fear not, fear not, fear not. But it's not because our fears are unfounded. We're told to fear not because our God is bigger. And the reason we fear things is we can't control it. But Moses feared Pharaoh, but he feared God more. And he didn't fear God because he thought he'd be punished. He feared God because he knew God was being good to him when God could have destroyed him. It's called respect. So Moses... He is a man who had real fear. I was looking through the Bible thinking of incidents. It didn't take me long. Abraham got scared in Egypt, and he lied about his wife being his sister. His son Isaac disobeyed God and feared the punishment for it, so he told another king that his wife was his sister. Isaac got scared and told a lie 
Jacob got scared of Esau and ran away because he lied to his father about who he was. Gideon had an army of 32,000 going into battle against an army of 150,000. And God said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to ask your soldiers if they're scared and if they're too fearful to fight to go home. And 20,000 of the 32,000 left. You see, I can show you throughout Scripture. The Bible is full of people when God tells them what to do, get scared. So when we face our fear, what are we going to do? Are we going to bow to the fear or are we going to bow to God? Who's greater than anything we can't control. See, in Hebrews eleven twenty seven, 27, it says, He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. This is an amazing insight into Moses. He stood before Pharaoh, the most prominent man on the earth, the most powerful man who you never told no to, and he walked into Pharaoh's house and he said, these slaves that you've taken against their will, you're going to free all of them, and for three days you're going to give us a journey into the wilderness, and we're going to worship the real God, and you're not him. If you don't know it, Pharaoh means God. He was a God, a living God. He was a descendant of the sun God, Ra. He was in charge of everything. And Moses had to walk into this most powerful man and say, I'm going to take these people you've held against their will, and we're going to go worship the real God away from you, and you're going to, make, you're going to say it's okay. And this is what happened. Pharaoh said, uh, no, I'm not. And he punished the Hebrew people. So here's what happened. Every time Moses went in and did what God asked him to do, the people were punished. And Moses was punished. And there was problems. And the people began to gripe against Moses. And all Moses was doing was doing what God told him to. We don't preach about that in church much, do we? Hey, if you obey the Lord, he's going to turn your friends against you. Go out there and serve. Right? That's a good way to lower attendance. But biblically, what's the truth of it? We're asked to do what God asks us to do because we believe that God's ways are better. We believe that even though Pharaoh can give us something today, God can give us something forever. So we hold on to that truth. And we have fear. And Moses saw the one who was invisible. Every time he stood before Pharaoh, he saw God bigger, God stronger, God more trustworthy. His faith allowed him to see beyond the moment, even in spite of his fear. So we know that Moses, because he trusted God, gave up prestige and pleasure and faced threats. Rejected all of those things. But what does faith accept? I'd like to close with two this morning. I'd like to begin by reading Hebrews eleven twenty-eight. By faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. It's an interesting verse. It's so full of theology and so full of history that it's kind of funny to me. I told you last week if you were here that there are parts of this that you read and you go, there's not a lot of detail. You have to remember that the Hebrew people, which was the audience of the book of Hebrews was written to, obviously, that these Jewish people would have known the history of their land and of their patriarchs. So when you mention a name like Jacob or Isaac or you mention a name like Moses, they could have filled the story in. Much like if I said we're talking about Abraham Lincoln today, most of you could fill in the back history. I wouldn't have to go into every detail. And so here we have this moment where he says, the Passover. You see, in the Passover, God called Moses and he said to him this, a death angel is coming into Egypt. I want you to pay attention to what he tells him. And all of the firstborn in Egypt. Now he did not say all the Egyptian firstborn. He said all of the firstborn in all the land of Egypt will die on this night 
if they don't do what I tell them to do. He said, take a perfect, unblemished lamb, a year old. Take this lamb that could be a blessing to you, but allow it to trust me with it. I want you to, to cut its throat. I want you to take its blood, and I want you to put it over the doorpost of the entrance to the home that you live in. And when you take the blood of the lamb and you cover your household, the firstborn in every household, Egyptian, Hebrew, or any other nationality, if you put the blood on the doorpost, your house will be spared, and the, the next day you will walk into freedom. Your slavery will end. And doesn't that sound like another guy in the New Testament? If you wear the blood of the lamb, your life will be spared, and the next day you will walk into what? Freedom. So Moses believed when God said all of the firstborn in Egypt meant all of the firstborn in Egypt. And he got his people together and he said, this is what we're going to do. He said, let's gather everybody and listen, take the lamb. Those who did lived and those who didn't died. It was pure and simple. Because Moses believed the implications of all and the angels spared them. And it became a beautiful picture of the blood of Christ. The reason you and I walk from slavery into freedom is not because God loves us more than others. It's not because we're American. It's not because of what we've accomplished in our life. It's because the blood of a lamb spared us from the death we deserved. Pure and simple. That's the reason we preach the cross of Christ here in the resurrection. Because by the blood of that lamb, you and I walked out of a tomb. And we will walk out of a tomb for eternity. It's because of that that Moses believed. Because of the provision of God. Now you can argue... You can argue all you want about whether we need a cross and whether why Christianity has to be so bloody. Or you can let God unlock the door and walk into freedom. Because the debate is worthless when the angel of death comes and the firstborn died that night because they would not accept the provision God gave them for life. But Moses did. And the people lived. And lastly, Moses' faith accepted God's promises. And this is going to seem a little bit strange. It's a terrible way to end a sermon, but you're used to it, so here we go. Hebrews eleven twenty nine. By faith the people passed through the Red Sea as on dry land, but when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. The Hebrews would have known this story. But here's the point that I want to bring up as we go this way. When they left that next morning, or the fact they left in the middle of the night... On the Passover night, they were freed. Pharaoh, his, his oldest son, is dead. He's devastated. He cries out to Moses, get them out of here. Your God is wrecking me. And so they took off that night, and they began to go to freedom. And I'd love to tell you that that's when the violin swelled, and the credits began to roll on the film, and everybody lived happily ever after. In fact, you can go to places in this country where preachers will tell you that God wants you to have the best of this and the best of this and the best of this. And I'm here to tell you, I wish that were true. I truly do. But when you understand that the Egyptians began to pursue the Israelites and there were obstacles and their entire journey through the wilderness was a struggle because God does not always want us to have the pleasures of this world. Sometimes he wants us to have the faith of another world. And so they struggled in the wilderness. And they ended up in this little cul-de-sac of land. You know what a cul-de-sac is? It looks like an asphalt light bulb. You can drive around the end of it, but you're not getting anywhere. And they got to this little inlet in the Red Sea, and the Egyptians lost their minds and said, we will crush them for what they did to us. And once again, in the pride of man, thinking you can overcome God, they began to come after the Israelites. 
And then we're told in Exodus 14 something pretty amazing. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up and they were the Egyptians, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. Please let that moment sink. Would you be terrified? Would you be frightened to know that that God had just killed the firstborn of this entire nation? The anger, the fury, the power, the chariots. The Egyptians have no weapons. They have no horses. They have nothing but a bunch of bags of gold and silver and possessions that they would use in the promised land, but they had nothing to fight with. And here comes the army. And the Bible says clearly they were terrified. They cried out to the Lord. And then they said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? The only thing I can equate that question to is the moments that we're driving someplace and Heather knows I don't know where I am. And then she says, are you lost? And I want to pull the steering wheel off of the dashboard and hand it to her and go, are you lost? It's not helpful. They look at Moses on this inlet. All they have is this deep red sea in front of them and an Egyptian army that wants to kill every single one of them. And they say to Moses, did you bring us out here to die because there weren't enough graves in Egypt? Smart Alex. says, what have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Now listen to verse 12 because it is horrific. Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone and let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Listen to what they just said. We were happy being slaves. We had no future. We had no lives. We were being tortured and used like animals. But at least we knew what we had. This would become a reoccurring cry for the Israelites for 40 years. The known is better than living by faith because the faith often is unknown what's coming ahead. Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. Stand firm and God will show up today. But it's not about the now, it's holding on. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You only need to be what, church? Still. Faith holds firm and stands still on the promises of God. The Lord will fight for you. This morning in this room, in fact, you're going to see some pictures here in just a few moments of some some young people who have decided that they're going to trust the Lord and hold firm to who he is. And they're going to wipe the blood of a lamb above their household and announce to the world that I'm trusting God to save my life, and he will. And yet there are some adults in this room today who are really close. You've talked to us. You've had conversations with your friends. I told you when we began that Christianity is simply about choosing to accept the promises of Jesus Christ over and above the promises of this world. Do you believe that what the world or Pharaoh offers you today is not worth having compared to what Christ can offer you for eternity? And I'm going to ask you, and this is strange. We don't normally do it this way, but what the heck. I'm going to ask you in just a moment. I'm going to have you stand while we sing together and proclaim our response to what we've heard today, what the Bible's called us to. But I'm going to ask some of you who are right there, but you've never chosen Jesus. You, you believe in him and you want what he offers, but there's this hesitation. I'm going to ask you that while we stand and sing, anytime during the music or afterwards, if you go out those back doors to your left in the corner, two tables, and the elders and some of our staff, myself, will be back there immediately. As soon as I walk off stage, you can come see us. Some of you know the choice you need to make. 
I want to ask you a question. Is today the day that you choose life over death? Is today the day you take the blood of the Lamb and say, I need to be marked by the blood of the Lamb so I can walk into new freedom, new life. Even with difficulties, my God will fight for me and I will stand firm on his promises. Let's stand together. Thank you for listening to a Sunday morning sermon from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about these sermons or about Christ Church in general, visit us online at ccochurch.com.